how awful it was <laughs> and how much I really didn't enjoy it at all. Not because I didn't love the sports. In fact, the opposite of that. Uh, I loved the sports too much. I would uh, have so much, you know, to me, I think uh, like a lot of people, I would look at, uh, you know, sports and be like, wow, it'd be so cool to work in sports. And I would go up to the press box and everybody there was completely miserable and silent and complaining. And I was like, okay, never mind. I don't want to do that. I'm not going to write about sports. Uh, but I did feel like, the way that people were actually talking about sports and the way that that, that uh, fans interacted with sports and felt about sports was very different than the way the sports were being covered. And so what I kind of want – I thought there, sh- there could be a site out there that would help bridge that gap between the people that work professionally in the world of sports and the people that actually pay for everything in the world of sports, which is to say the fans and the consumers. So – and I wanted to make it funny. You know, I, I, uh, I naturally tried uh, – um, I can – I'm making bad jokes is one of my skills, so I thought it would. Uh, I would try to make a, a reverent kind of fun site, and I didn't know if it was going to work. I certainly was not interested in, in being. I still have no interest in. I didn't care about who athletes were sleeping with or or any of that stuff. I don't think Deadspin's ever really been about that, even after I left. Um, but it certainly was not meant to be the scandal. We're gonna t- we're gonna take down sports media. It was just supposed to be fun, and it was supposed to be a different way of talking about sports, the way that I thought people actually did talk about sports. And so I launched the site. Uh, they they because I they I said you guys should do that site. You guys should like that's the site you should do. And they're like, eh, you're cheap. Nobody knows who you are. We'll give you six months. <laughs> it's gonna fail, but not, and I I assumed it would also fail. So I figured I'll, I'll do six months of this until they fire me, and then hopefully someone like an actual publication will have seen my writing and be like, yeah, we'll make him like the beat reporter on our high school team or or, uh, or make him re- let him review the uh, whatever crappy TV show uh, is coming out because our top three guys don't want to do it. But it caught on. It caught on, and uh, I don't think it was really because of my brilliance or of me being any sort of great writer. I just think that – you know, it, there was a desire for a site like that. People were not talking about sports the way that uh, I think the old, mustached, bald, white men that were writing about sports uh, were discussing it. So I think that that uh, the it, they had that advantage. It caught on a lot quicker than I thought it was going to, and I'm very happy that it did that. Um, but the uh, and and because of that, and because it was so popular, and because and by by popular, by the way, I mean probably like a fiftieth of the traffic it does now. <laughs> like now, it's like a legitimate huge site. Like by the time you know popular, it's still it's it was like an indie band that had like got on a couple college stations. Like oh wow, you're so huge. Like now they're mainstream radio. But um, then it was still it was still you know getting bigger was a was a small concept. But it certainly got big enough that it started to get noticed. It started getting written about a lot. And it certainly seemed to herald uh, a new thing for a lot of people, uh, even though really it was just just trying to be funny writing about sports, which I don't think was particularly original or new. So, but it was fun. I was very happy with it. I had a great time with it. I got probably a little bit too obsessed with it. Uh, I you know I love to write. I write. It's my the thing that makes me happier than anything else in the world. So uh, when you have a blog, you just write all the time. And I found that so addictive, and I got very obsessed with the site. That uh, I made it about three years, but almost three years. I wasn't burnt out to any stretch of the imagination, but I also saw that it was, you know, it was starting to become get into bad habits in my writing. Uh, you can see that as the site was getting bigger and as Gawker Media was starting to get bigger, they were going to take want to take the site in a in a more broad, more uh, mainstream direction that I was particularly interested in taking it in and. 
Uh, so we uh, so AJ took over for it for me in July of 2008 and did what all uh, and I and made it big enough that I still get credit for having founded Deadspin, even though uh, I feel like if I would have stayed running Deadspin, I would have kept doing my weird little posts about Nirvana and Woody Allen and the and the Cardinals and all of these nerdy little things that I care about. And it would have been very popular among this very small subsect of people, but would have never grown the way that it probably needed to. So I'm glad they do incredible work now. They have scope and uh, the breadth and depth of the stuff that they do there astounds me. I would have never thought that Desmond would, uh, you know, Albert Burneco just wrote this incredible piece about Wiley E. Coyote on the site that I would have never even dreamed that uh, Desmond would be able to run something like that. So what they do now, I think is really impressive. I'm really just in awe of them. But, you know, I always do kind of feel like, you know, when I get credit for, hey, you founded Deadspin. I'm like, yes, I did launch Deadspin, and I did make it initially very popular. But, um, you know, the reason that it's that I get any credit for having founded Deadspin is really because of the work uh, of the people that came after me. So I, I feel myself very lucky. If someone would have terrible, someone terrible would have come, if it hadn't been AJ or then Tommy Craggs and now Tim Marchman, these really, really smart people who know what they're doing and, and, and uh, have a great idea for the site, if it would have been someone dumb that took over for them, uh, it, like you know, when I when I left, AJ Delorio and Clay Travis, if you can believe that, were actually the co-editors for the site. Uh, no offense to what Clay does over there at Fox, but I'm not sure Deadspin survives if uh, Clay is the one that continues to run that site rather than AJ. So I'm glad the direction they took it in not only a smart and popular direction, but you know, a really interesting and creative direction. And uh, so I'm lucky for that opportunity. And I still b hang out there. I write a big piece. I fill in for Drew. Of course, Drew McGarry, the most popular writer now, he was a commenter on Desmond in the early days that we were just like, hey, that guy's really funny. You should write something up here. So uh, that spirit, I hope, is still there, and I'm, I'm honored to get to be a part. And uh, I recognize that you know, when I die, if anyone even bothers to write an obituary, uh, Deadspin will be in the first paragraph, even though it's something I left a long time ago, and I have no problems with that. I'm I'm honored by the work that they do, and it reflects only positively on me, even if I haven't necessarily done anything to deserve it. <laughs> okay, I mean, I was about I was going to ask how it feels, uh, sort of watching from afar uh, as it blew up in your words from indie band to mainstream radio. But I mean, how much are you still? You're still in touch a lot with the guys who are there, right? How um, often? Less, less than I used to be. Uh, yeah. uh, just because I mean, I know them all, and I've met them all, and uh, and you know, when AJ took over for me, like AJ was the best man at my wedding. <laughs> like AJ and I are very good friends. And Tommy Craggs, who took over, is also one of my very good friends. And he was at my wedding, and he came out for my, my 40th birthday party this year. Like these are like close, close friends. And I like Tim Marchman very much. I've met Tim several times, and he's very smart and very capable. Uh, and I love the work he's doing. But like, you know, I didn't like I came up the ranks with AJ and Tommy. Like now it's a different site, and you know, I talked to the good writers they have there now of, of Albert and Greg Howard and and Tom Lee. Like Barry Barry Pachewski was there uh, at the end of my tenure, or uh, he was there during the AJ time. But everybody else, like all those guys, are all like 25, 26 years old. I might as well be Lupica, as far as I don't think, as far as they're concerned. Not, and I don't, I mean that in a negative way toward Lupica, not a positive way. Like if you're hearing that, be like, he's comparing himself to Lupica. Like if uh, I don't want to be compared, uh, like not to say that Lupica is like a bad guy, but I just you know there's like there's just an older thing there that uh, they see me as an old guy. Basically yeah. what I'm saying. So, which is fine. I'm actually perfectly comfortable with that. So, and like I was on a panel with Greg Howard um, at the University of Syracuse a while back, and he is, you know, freakishly talented in a way that I am honored that a writer as smart and ambitious as him, you know, he looks a lot across the landscape and says, 
you know, the be- the way I, the place I can do my best work and have the freedom to do my best stuff is Deadspin, which is exciting to me. That is what I wanted Deadspin to be. Like I certainly never imagined it would be as large and uh, and and have the scope of things that it does now. But I certainly wanted it to be a place. You know, if Deadspin would have turned into Barstool Sports and were as big as it were now, I'd be really depressed. Uh, but the fact that Deadspin is is this place for smart writing and for a place that uh, – like Dan Moskowitz does incredible work over there, like great investigative reporting. Uh, I trust her on, on – I trust her reporting as much as I trust anyone at the New York Times uh, and, and a lot of these major places. So to see that is uh, – that's thrilling because you know that is – it's a place that I love to read, you know, and yeah, it's not what I did anymore, and that's good because it's better <laughs> than what I did. So uh, I certainly I was involved a lot in the early days with AJ and advising him and and Tommy, I think to a lesser extent, but certainly was involved in that uh, a little. And now, you know, listen, I, I talk to Drew, you know, I talk to I talk to those guys a lot, but you know, it's their thing now, and I, I would hope that they would appreciate not having the me pop in. Uh, and say, oh, I don't like that Deadspin did this. I don't like – of course, they do things I don't like, like every publication that does does something that I don't like at some point. But uh, uh, it's certainly not my place to ever uh, – they're doing great work over there. They certainly have earned the right to have the freedom to not have me being like, well, that's not what I would have done. Because if the site would have been what I – would have continued to be what I, what I would have done, it probably wouldn't be nearly as big as it is now. So uh, I trust what they're doing. Even if I disagree with something, I feel like uh, their heart's always in the right place and they're doing good work. So I'm I'm truly impressed. And I'm I'm. It's funny because a lot of people ask, like, does it bother you getting asked about dead spinning because it's been so long since you left? And I think it did at first. I think when I first left because I was trying harder to like make my own name now. But you know, I'm I'm older now. I'm comfortable with who I am. I love the work that I do. I'm I'm I recognize that even to this day, a lot of uh, the freedom that I get to have in writing for all of these other publications and doing all of these different things, uh, and the freedom that Sports on Earth uh, uh, as my full time job uh, gives me. A lot, that's a lot. That's because of Deadspin, and I'm grateful for it. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I certainly had never thought that I never thought Deadspin was popular in the first place because oh, let's all gather around the computer and see what wisdom Will Leach has to give us. Like it was never about it was all about this this community kind of idea. So I take no, uh, I, I'm I'm delighted with how they're doing, and I'm I'm honored that even uh, unfairly I get to occasionally be still associated with it. <laughs> So now you've moved on, and one of the things that I think is really interesting or impressive about you is how many different things you cover and you write about sports and movies and politics. How hard is that for you to keep up with all three and be able to you know, be well-read enough on all subjects to, to feel like you're able to write about all three? Is that a tough balance to be able to do all of that? You know, it's not too tough for me because I really care about all of those things. If one of my beats were economics or finance or fashion or, uh, uh, you know, classical music, uh, yeah, I would be really bad at that. And that would be really hard to keep up. But I really love all three of those things and always have. You know, they've always been uh, 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 movies specifically. Movies were what I wanted to do in the first place. You know, in college, I wanted to be Roger Ebert, the idea of being a sports writer. I started writing sports for my newspaper because it was, you know, you you got paid eighty five cents per column inch. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I got, I got, I need some more beer money. I'll, I'll, I'll start covering basketball. And then you got in free to the games. So I was like, great, this is. It was college, you know. I didn't really consider it like a serious thing, and frankly, still kind of don't. Um, but so for me, you know, these are the things I've always been obsessed with. And so writing about movies, for if anything, writing about sports was more of an initial challenge than writing about movies was. Uh, politics is different because I've never covered an election before. I'm actually going out to Iowa 
right uh, a few days after, I don't know when this is running, but on uh, Tuesday, the 26th is when I had the Iowa to cover the caucuses. Uh, and then I go straight from there for the Super Bowl. So yeah, there's some there's some upshifting and downshifting uh, there to be sure. But uh, you know, these are things I'm obsessed with. I've always been obsessed with politics. I've always wanted to cover an election. It's not, frankly been a dream of mine to be able to do it. I'm very fortunate that Bloomberg is letting me uh, tag along to the really interesting stuff that they're doing over there. So, um, but no, it's I find it. I I like the, all of those things so much and care about them so much and have like if I weren't writing about those things full time I would be reading just as much about them as I am now uh, because the, you know that it comes naturally to me because this is you know I I find myself a consumer of media it's very difficult for me sometimes to um, you know I people you know whether I whether I interview an athlete or I interview a politician or interview uh, someone in movies you know I I one of the things I moved to Athens Georgia and. I lived in New York for 13 years and moved about two years ago, and I don't really hang out with people in media anymore, which I have to say is great and good for the soul. <laughs> Not because media people are bad people, but just like anything else, you end up just talking about media all the time, and you lose touch with what actual people are talking about. So, but one of the things that actual people often want to know is they want to know who's it cool that you've met, you know, who have you interviewed, who's it cool, so on. And I don't really care. Like I have to say, I'm never impressed by athletes. I'm never impressed by politicians. I'm never impressed by movie stars or any of that stuff. I'm impressed by other writers whose work that I that I enjoy to be entirely honest like you know i uh, uh if, if i meet if i meet someone who i just i'm i can't believe how good they are i that's that that is to me those are my celebrities you know so i read everything i consume everything and you know um and so for me you know reading and keeping keeping up with everything on these three topics it's always strange i hear that uh, you always hear the stick to sports thing or stick to movies or stick to politics or stick whatever you do and i find that really baffling because you know frankly no one it's always weird to, to take like someone who writes about sports professionally and say stick to sports when most of the time you're yelling at them for being an idiot for what they say about sports anyway <laughs> like you know no one is the idea that that uh, if you tell me uh if you tell me to stick to sports you are assuming an expertise in sports i don't really necessarily have and the same goes to movies and the same goes to politics politics. We're all idiots. I just type fast and I try to find interesting things to write about. And so for me, yeah, there's a little bit of shifting in that. Like the only real shifting I have to do is to remember who a specific audience on a specific site is. But really, that's just more of how much do I have to like I wrote a piece. I have a video piece coming going on Bloomberg. Uh, the, the show I, I uh, Bloomberg Politics is the site, but the show is with all due respect, which is on Bloomberg TV at five o'clock. Uh, Eastern and then runs again on MSNBC at six o'clock Eastern. I have a video piece coming out on Friday that is about football. It's about how which presidential candidates relate to, to which football, uh, which football teams that are left in the in the playoffs. But to me, the hard part that is not like knowing what I'm talking about. The hard part is remembering what Bloomberg readers know about sports and what they don't know about sports. Uh, that is the harder part. But for me, you know, keeping these things in my mind simultaneously is something that I've always done because I always care about them. So I'm just lucky that I'm just lucky and honored that they let me keep doing all of this because I couldn't be having more fun. You know, I, I it's it's it reminds me a little bit of. You know, I'm going to the Super Bowl this year, and someone asked me, "What's it like going to the Super Bowl?" And you know, if you ask anyone that's been to more than one Super Bowl, the answer is, "It sucks." <laughs> like, covering a Super Bowl is not a fun time. Uh, the game is awesome. The game is terrific. The game is like the game is this incredible experience that you'd expect it to be. But everything that surrounds the, surrounds the Super Bowl is just this, this. It's just a bunch of people selling. Such a shady people selling junk. It's the NFL for crying out loud. Like that's that's what this is. So so the, the and a bunch of rich douchebags like just being douchebags all week. Like it's just the actual experience around the Super Bowl I find deeply unpleasant. 
And fortunately, it's almost always taken care of. But like, oh, right, you're at the game. You're at the Super Bowl. And it's amazing. But the point is, is when you've been to the Super Bowl for a few times, the experience of the Super Bowl gets a little jaded. And uh, you end up – you find the experience. You you tell someone in a podcast that going to the Super Bowl sucks while people are listening being like, hey, asshead, going to the Super Bowl is awesome. And you're correct, and both people are correct. But for me, politics – I've never covered politics before. So I went out to – I covered a Trump rally in Mobile. Uh, Alabama, right when he first kind of started to take off, and you know, I I went to the Republican debate uh, in at the Reagan Library, and I was surrounded by political reporters that do this all the time. This is old hat, and they're so bored with it. And I am just like, I can't believe it! I, this is amazing! I can't believe I get to get away with this. And I feel like that's a really important attitude for anyone to have when they're covering anything. So uh, I hope that makes for better work. And I joke a little bit because I mean, you know, I say going to the Super Bowl sucks, but I still have a great time. Like going there, it's just going to media day sucks and walking through like all the convention halls where they're they're selling whatever terrible like vitamin supplements or whatever that the that the shady former athletes and trainers are hawking. And it's media, media night now this year. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, OK, I definitely wasn't before. Now I'm really not going. So because no, I, I, I think someone someone SP Nation needs to get on the get our reporters stoned and send them to media day. Like that is why someone hasn't done this. Or maybe I'll do that story. I guess they need the Super Bowl in, in Denver, I suppose. Um, but anyway, the point is, uh, I, you know, I think you need to have that excitement level to be able to cover anything. And for me, you know, I still one thing I'm very happy about because you know, obviously I do all these other stuff, but it's sports are the things I've covered most closely for the last 10 years. I still love sports, man. I still love it. Like when I go to Iowa, I'm going to sneak in to get out to a Drake game, you know, and uh, Drake, Drake before he was a popular entertainer, was a university. And now, uh, and I, so I'll be watching Drake play Bradley, I think just to sneak out and go to a game, you know, I'll go to a San Jose state game when I'm at the Super Bowl. You know, for me, I love watching sports. I can't wait until the conference championship games this weekend, not just because one of my team teams is in them, but I'll be watching them on my couch and, uh, like everybody else will. And that is something that I felt was important even in the, in the launching of Deadspin is to remember that like, yeah, I work as a reporter and I cover some things, but I still really love sports. And I think you kind of have to have that, uh, to, to continue to write about them effectively. Yeah. So then I have a question. This probably works for your trip to Iowa and out to the Super Bowl. but how much of your trip is planned and you know what you're going to do, or are you just going to kind of show up and sniff around and see what's there and, and go off in some direction that you get there and decide you like is cause I feel like having not covered a caucus before, or, you know, it, uh, you know, you're not necessarily on a beat for one of the two teams in the Super Bowl. There's some freedom to just go out and find, uh, find interesting stories. So how much is structured and how much is it going to be just you getting on the ground and looking for cool stuff to do? The Super Bowl will definitely just be, be, be me showing up. That's what it usually is. I, I joke about this, but like the Super Bowl is actually a fun thing to cover. It's not really a fun thing to see the soullessness of American capitalism writ bare. But uh, certainly it is fun to write about because it's just like last year in particular. You know, I, I Last year was I, – I wrote a big piece last year that I was very happy with that turned out about – it was basically about how not only Richard Sherman – excuse me, not Richard Sherman, um, um, Marshawn Lynch talking about – or not talking to the media, but the media's reaction to it and how it was a fascinating kind of thing to realize that in a larger sense, once you kind of fall, fallen back on it, you realize that every that there's really no reason to 
like Marshawn Lynch isn't talking to the media because there's just no reason to talk to the media because the NFL is imper- impermeable. Like the NFL is untouchable. You can say anything you want about this, the, 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 the NFL. You can point out how monstrous it is and the way they, they – the, how awful they handle every situation and how it's run by evil people and it doesn't matter. The veins get bigger every year and everybody gets richer and then they just bolt out of St. Louis and nobody cares. And, and they get away with it And because it's football because there's the same reason I'm excited about the NFC and AFC championship games this weekend because it's really fun. So, um, so that's a like that's a rich topic, but that's not a topic I would be able to do spend a lot of time on if I were out there going, okay, here's your sidebar on, you know, here's your sidebar on the Seahawks offensive line. You know, I'm I'm for, I'm lucky. I'm very lucky, and I and I I'm very appreciative that to not have to do those guys. Are not that they're not important, and not that they're done well, but that's not something I would I really do very well. You know, for me, I'm trying to write about the experience of sports and. How how it folds into a into the uh, the culture at large. So I because of that I'm fortunate enough to have a lot of freedom when I go to something like the Super Bowl. Iowa I don't know. <laughs> I think I don't I don't know. Uh, Bloomberg has a, a a ton of writers who do I think more tra- excellent uh, and more traditional political reporting. Uh, I imagine I'm I'll go to a caucus. I'll, I'll go to a, a Bush rally. I, I, of candidates, I'm most interested. Into seeing what it's like, I'm certainly curious what um, a Clinton rally is like right now because she's not really doing that well in Iowa. It's an unhappy place for her, and I'm wondering, you know, I, what's it like? Everyone keeps talking about how there's not that many passionate Hillary Clinton supporters, but I, I can't. I mean, I want to go talk to some because they're obviously there. People that would show up at a rally on a freezing Iowa night, those are people I want to talk to, and and, and that's an experience I want to get to have. So. That to me is not that different than I, I'm not going to cover that in any other way. But Bloomberg may have different plans for me. As far as I know, I might get they, they would be surprised because most of the work I've done for Bloomberg has been more of the style of my sports on earth and of the style of my dead spin uh, stuff where I've like the Trump piece. I wrote like 3000 words just simply on the experience of what it was like to be at that insane Trump rally in Mobile, Alabama. But uh, it was not like a inverted pyramid um, AP story. And of course, people do that very well. And I certainly don't mean to disparage that. It's just it's not my strength and so uh i'm so i'm assuming that's what we're going to to do but i've never covered a caucus before like it's possible i'll i'll be completely confused and i'll end up writing about um how uh, surprisingly inexpensive the vending machines in the des moines hotel are like i don't know i haven't got there yet but certainly i'm not there on i, I think there's an understanding of what my skills are and what i can bring to the table and i think one of those is um doing something on what I hope anyway is a little different than what everyone else is doing. How many people do you think are going to be making the same trip you are from Iowa out to the Super Bowl to cover both of them? <laughs> yeah, well, people whose uh, whose uh, families that they'll be leaving for an extra week, <laughs> like <laughs> like mine, uh, mad at them for it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I uh, I hope so because it'd be fun to talk about both experiences. But um, you know, it's funny too because I I leave on that Tuesday and then that Tuesday after I leave uh, Iowa the Tuesday morning after the caucuses and then fly out. And then the first thing I do when I get in is I have to go catch a screening of hail Caesar, <laughs> which is the new Coen brothers movie for the new Republic at a, I had to set that up screening in San Francisco uh, while I'm out there for the Super Bowl while coming back from Iowa. So to me, the challenge is more scheduling. <laughs> it's more like, wait, that's right. That's going to be due that week. Uh, let's find a publicist in San Francisco who can do that screening for me. Uh, and they've been very helpful and they've, they've, they've worked with me on that. But yeah, that is, you know, that uh, I'm lucky again. I'm, you know, this is all I ever wanted to do, and I think part of it too. Everyone kind of assumed 
because of Deadspin, because it was this new idea and it was this new thing and I had started and it was my baby, that I was some sort of, you know, entrepreneurial tech online veyer check kind of guy. And I'm not. Like all I ever wanted to do was write. I have no – I've turned down uh, – I'm, I'm probably not anymore. I think I've turned down enough of them that no one's going to ask me anymore. But I've turned down – Editorial jobs, management jobs. I just don't, I don't want. To, all I wanted to do was write. That's why I got into this in the first place. So it's always. I know that the structure of the business is set up to where you build yourself up, and then the the way to get a raise or the way to get up is to take a man, management job, a managerial job, and then you write less. And but you work up the chain, and next thing you know, you know you're you're John Skipper or John Walsh or, or whatever. And I and that, that made, I don't know if I don't think I would have ever been very good at that in the first place, which is probably why I haven't done it. But I just want to write. That's literally all I ever wanted to do. I spent so much time, you know, uh, uh, um, writing and reporting and. Uh, and things for free that nobody read while doing all these odd jobs, stuffing envelopes for the theater industry, <laughs> like all of these things I did for a long time just because I wanted to write. The idea that once I would get a little bit, uh, I finally catch a break and uh, and turn a corner and be able to get you know get paid for my writing. The idea that I would then say, okay, now I'm a visionary, now I'm an editorial con- consultant or an editorial director. I just never really had any interest in doing that. I wanted to write. That's what makes me happy. And that's what I do. And so for me, this the stretch of uh, – it's not much of a stretch at all to write about politics and movies and sports and do all of those things because it's, it's, all, it's, it's all the same blank page that needs to be filled by me. And certainly the topics are different, but I, uh, that, you know, that's 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 why I'm also frankly not very good at Twitter. <laughs> like uh, Twitter has become a thing that some people are great at, and some people have embraced. And I, there's something where I think it's great. I certainly read Twitter a lot more than I necessarily post on Twitter, but that's not why I do this. Like that's not why you know. I mean, I feel like it's constantly forgotten. You know uh, why people like you know I know all of these people that went in to the business to write and to report and to express. You know and. Um, and a lot of them went into management, which is fine. They get to express and they get to write and they get to edit and they get to do all that in that way. But I'm not really built that way. I need to write. I need to I you know, when I'm sitting and writing, I'm in my quiet, focused, happy place. So um, uh, to get to do that on different topics and therefore expand my possibilities and and keep challenging myself, that is all I ever really wanted to do. So I'm I'm very happy to have the opportunity and knock on wood. And also, worst case scenario, hopefully if I just take every job, there'll be one left over after Trump gets elected president and there are no jobs left for anyone. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to leave that one alone. <laughs> um, so back to uh, some stuff you wrote, and and uh, we've touched on it a little, but the with the Cardinals uh, being your team, uh, having grown up in St. Louis, I just think that's so interesting. Did did a lot the of the Arizona your, Cardinals, the Arizona. the Arizona Cardinals, yeah. Did a lot of your friends do that? Because I feel like so many people now in St. Louis, you hear them, it sounds like they're ready to give up on the Rams. And you went through the same thing when you were growing up and decided to stick with your team. So, you know, so why did you do that? And, and did some of your friends do that and stick it out with you? Or were you kind of off on your own in uh, maintaining your allegiance to the Cardinals even after they left St. Louis? Yeah, you know, first off, when it came to my friends, by that point, most of them were already Bears fans because that was right after the Super Bowl shuffle. They, they, that was two years after the Super Bowl shuffle. After the Super Bowl shuffle, everybody loved the, the, the Bears. Because remember, I didn't grow up in St. Louis itself. I grew up in central Illinois, which is right around that Chicago, St. Louis. There's more St. Louis fans, like for baseball, for example. There are more Cardinals fans than there are Cubs fans, but there's still some Cubs fans hanging around. Around that time, everyone mostly just shifted to the Bears. And I'm sure they didn't do that in the city of St. Louis. I don't know. I didn't grow up in the city of St. Louis. But certainly 
certainly among my friends, they were probably already with, with the Bears anyway because it was the fridge. It was Walter Payton. It was Jim McMahon and, and all that. So for me, though, it was pretty easy, to be honest, because when you cover when – you, when, you, when you root for a sports team, you, know, you root for them 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, particularly now. Where you have access to, like I just spent an hour and a half listening to a uh, podcast about the St. Louis Cardinals baseball team on January twenty first. <laughs> like there is so, and and there will be ten news stories by next Monday about that team, and I will read every single one of them. So when you're a fan of a team, there's not like like I I'm invested in everything that's going. On. I can tell you that I get I don't challenge me, but I think I can take name most of the fifty three man roster. For the Arizona Cardinals, and I know who they drafted, and I know where their pick is next year, and I know who who's up for a contract stuff. Because when you're a fan of a team, you a deep fan of a team, you are obsessed with stuff like that. It's not something that can just drop someday, and you're like, oh, okay, now I don't like at least let's some. If you're a more casual fan, that's probably a little easier, and that's fine. People should pick their own fandom and do whatever they want. But for me, you know, I I'm an obsessive fan of my team, so the idea that somehow one day I like the St. Louis Cardinals football team. And now I just have to find 53 new players and I have to go find another franchise. And all of a sudden, like, like once you're a fan of a team for me, I couldn't possibly let them go. And, uh, and I follow, and I never, it's funny. I'd never actually even been to the state of Phoenix. Uh, I would, uh, they left in 87. It would be about 17 years until I would actually step foot in the state of Phoenix, the state of Arizona, excuse me. Uh, and uh, so I, you know, I certainly had no, Connection to it, but you know, I, so I have a column in the next issue of New York Magazine about this very thing, about how kind of helping how Rams fans can deal with it and how any team, when your fan team leaves, because the way it is now, you know, my son, uh, uh, I'm a Knicks fan. When I moved to New York, I never really had an NBA team, and so I picked, the, so I, I, uh, I picked up the Knicks and I've stuck with them now that, I, now that I've left. But you know, my son is four years old. My oldest son is four years old. He, uh, the Knicks, we have the NBA league pass. He has a Porzingis and Carmelo Anthony jersey. He has the Knicks schedule on his wall. Uh, I we can play Knicks highlights for him anytime he wants. I can read posting and toasting and all the great Knicks blogs and follow all the great Knicks writers on Twitter. As far as my kid knows, we live down the street from the Garden. Like, who cares that we're in Athens, Georgia? The Knicks are can be your team now. It's not like it. Like the hard, the harder part when I was young was when the St. Louis Cardinals football team left. They were just gone. I just like how was I supposed to see those guys anymore? Now I feel like it's you can create your own fandom now. You can if you are upset that the Rams are leaving. Don't root for cranky – like look, look at the Rams owner, for example. Like I've written about how just – he's like uh, even among owners, he's the worst. Like among owners that have left, I've compared him to, uh, to Art Modell, and what he did was – like Art Modell at least said, I feel bad for what I did. I love this city when he left town. Like Gronky is – like basically just came out and said, this place is a shithole and you should all leave. <laughs> and so like that is – like he's as unpopular as a human being as you will probably find. But he also owns Arsenal, who is my favorite soccer team, and that doesn't affect me because who the hell roots for the owners? <laughs> like I don't – like who cares about that? And for me, that is a reasonable way to be a fan of a team. The idea that if you feel betrayed that a team – that a group of billionaires uh, – that a billionaire left your town for more money, like – he he was he didn't like you in the first place. <laughs> like he, he was only here. Like if you're betrayed by an owner going to get more money, you are surprised that the scorpion bit you. Like this is what they do. So but, so no part of you uh, feels bad or conflicted or anything buying an Arsenal T-shirt and knowing of that a cut not. of that twenty dollars goes to this guy. That doesn't. Okay. 
but by that rationale, but see, yeah. it's funny. I have a friend of this, a friend of mine who in college, she would not, um, she would, she would not in college. Now we're all grown ups and we all eat healthier, but in college she wouldn't go eat at Wendy's. Because Dave Thomas, the the owner of Wendy's back in the late Dave Thomas, was a big supporter, a uh, big pro-life supporter. And that really upset her, and so she would not go eat at Wendy's. And I picked up Wendy's someday, even though I agree with her politically on that point. And she said, how can you do that? And I'm like, listen, if I'm going to sit there and wait to, uh, and only eat foods where the, comp- the, the, the every dollar that I pay for the food goes to someone that I philosophically agree with, I'm going to starve. <laughs> and – you know that is like for me, capitalism is this big, huge thing. I'm just a guy. <laughs> like I, I don't actually feel that my rooting for Arsenal is supporting of the owner because someday there's going to be a different owner and someday there's going to be a different owner. There's going to be all different players. That is the thing I think fans forget all the time. Is you know right now, let's talk about my St. Louis Cardinals. I love my St. Louis Cardinals, but someday they're going to have a different owner. They're going to have a different manager. They're going to have entirely different players. They may play in a different stadium. They may, God forbid, play in a different city. The only thing that is a connection between 1950 and 2000 is me, is the fans. That's literally the only connection. Everybody else is gone. And we can say, well, the Stan Musial. Yeah, but Stan Musial was a player, is a, is a guy that's died and never owned the team and has no connection to the people that have actually involved with this team right now at all. The Fan the teams are our construction. The tradition of things is not something that that the, like for crying out loud, the Cleveland Browns right now have literal zero connection to the Cleveland Browns that were there before that before they left. But everyone's just decided, you know what? Let's just go ahead and pretend they're the same. And you can because they're yours, and you can do whatever you want with them. And so I always encourage fans to like this is your thing. You are more important than the owners are on this because they're going to go away someday. All that's going to be gone, and 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 you know if there's an owner of your team that you don't like. And you feel like I, I listen. How, how do Washington fans do it <laughs> with Dan Snyder? It's got to be hard, right? Yeah. But but that's the thing is that like they're not Dan Snyder's team; they're yours. And you, sure, in a actual sense, yes, they are physically owned by Dan Snyder's, but Dan Snyder. But that's not really what Washington, the football team, is for you. They are something else. They are a connection to your to your family and the connection to your heart and something that you that they're this way that you spend your free time and your casual time reading and thinking about them. That has nothing to do with Dan Snyder. That has nothing to do with the uniforms. That has nothing to do with the racist mascot. That has nothing to do with any of that. It's yours, and you can have it. It can just be yours. It can be yours and your friends. And it can be your thing. But the idea bringing that kind of the owner's a jerk and he hates me and, and therefore like that affects your fandom of the team. I don't really understand that to be honest. Being a fan is an irrational act by definition. If, if you start putting rationality into it, like, wow, if I give money to, if I buy my Arsenal shirt, some of that's going to go to that creepy mustache guy. Um, I mean, yeah, it, some of it probably will. And, and, and this Diet Coke I'm drinking, there's probably an African warlord somewhere who is getting some sort of – whose family is getting – who got rich off Coca-Cola stock 200 years ago and is out there oppressing people because of it. I literally can't control everything in the world, but what I can't control is what's in front of me. And, uh, and for me, that's my team, and, uh, and I've stuck with them. Yeah, and then the other big thing and from reading your story, you think the city of St. Louis is better off anyway, not – forking over hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever it is to build a new stadium. So am I right? That's, that's just a, math. That, yeah. So that's a big <laughs> I, part of it too. Yeah. That, and, that, and that's true for anywhere. You know, I think that, you know, uh, the idea, I don't, I think a lot of people, some people read that column and were like, well, he's just trying to defend St. Louis. That's true anywhere, man. Like no one should give the NFL of all people 
$400 million to build them in the stadium. That's insane. Like the NFL is a particular, never mind a city like St. Louis, which has had struggled, but any city, like there's a finite amount of money that a city can spend and you need to spend it on your people and school and, and, and sanitation and basic infrastructure. And the idea of the NFL, where who whose commissioner has explicitly stated his goal, his number one goal is to raise revenue to $25 billion. Like, come on. Why Why exactly are we supposed to give these people money? Why are the, is St. Louis worse off because they didn't just give over $400 million to, the, to, to, the, to, these, to this guy that just wanted it? <laughs> like, I don't I, – I, I, and there's all, you know, all the studies – uh, claim that that's not like you don't actually get much benefit out of even baseball teams, and they play 81 times a year. So the idea that that, that uh, the Rams are some the St. Louis somehow worse off without the Rams, I think is crazy. And and but it's you know it's a it's a scheme. You know it's a scheme. Now that Los Angeles is there, uh, it's just like Seattle in the NBA. You know now that Los Angeles has a team, uh, whatever team wants a new stadium. In the NFL, do they going to say they're going to go to L.A. or they're going to go to London or maybe or maybe if St. Louis keeps their plan? Now it's St. Louis, and you know this is exactly what got St. Louis in trouble in the first place was agreeing to a terrible deal to get the Rams that now allowed them to leave. They should just walk away, and I I think they'll be better off for it. Okay, so uh, kind of a, a hard transition here, but we're uh, creeping up around forty minutes. But I did want to ask you real fast on Creed because I said yes. I was going to bring it up. Yes. Uh, I loved it. Did you mm-hmm. did you love it as much as I did as a as a fan of the Rocky series? Uh, I don't know how much you loved it, but I I did like it a lot. I liked it more. Uh, Tim Grierson is my movie review partner at New Republic. He liked it less than I did. I think it's great. I'm curious though because I like the Rocky movies. I'm not passionate about the Rocky movies. I like the Rocky movies. I, it's funny though. I actually found in this movie, it's interesting that Sylvester Stallone is the one person that got an Oscar nomination for it. Because as much as I like Stallone, I think it's it's there are times where it's very touching to see him go back to this character he's played so many times. That even even some of the bad Rocky movies, he he you still tell there's a tenderness to the way he feels about that character as opposed to the way he feels about Rambo, for example. Um, so clearly, like you know, th- I I appreciate that, but I have to say. There were many times in that movie where I was like, okay, okay, can we move off of Rocky? Let's get back to the couple. Let's get back to his life. I found I found that story a little bit more interesting, frankly, at times even more than the boxing. Like I feel like he's very well played. That's an interesting character, and his girlfriend is a fascinating character, and that story is – and and even the stuff with his father and stuff with his mom, I feel like that's all really good. And also I feel like it actually has something to say uh, in an interesting way about being young and black in America that in a way that it's very subtle about it. It kind of sneaks it in there, but I think it's clearly there. Uh, his last movie, uh, uh, Fruitvale Station, is more uh, overt about that, but I think certainly uh, it's there. In Creed, I found that more interesting than while I like the symmetry of Sylvester Stone playing the Polly character. Essentially, I, I do like the symmetry then. I think he's good. I also, you know, I kept wanting the movie to get back to Creed and his girlfriend because I think that's the most interesting part to me. The the the, the thing that I like about this the, the way I, the, this movie connects to the original Rocky in a way that I find very likable is actually like you know Rocky and Adrian. I find I find the love story really sharp uh, in Creed, and I and the boxing scenes are very well done. He's a, he's a very good director, and so I like Creed a lot. I but I have to say though, it feels not like a Rocky movie. It feels like the start. It feels like a nod to the Rocky movies, 
and and here's Stallone, and then now we can go move off in our own direction. And I hope they do that, to be honest, because I feel like uh, I feel uh, I think it's a very good way to kind of close out uh, the 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 Rocky movies and maybe start off into his own thing. Yeah. Do you think they can keep this going as a, a Creed series, even if they eventually decide to kill off the Rocky character? I think so. I, I think I think uh, I mean this movie was so well received and has done so well that yeah, there's yeah, got to be another one. I I, don't, I think they're already working on another one. I think yeah. Stallone is going to be in it, but I do think that the there's going to be a clear transition away from from that storyline. I think there's got to be. You know, I think again, like even with the movie, again, I like the movie. I kind of wish it would have ended with him and her rather than him and Rocky. I understand why it does. I understand why it does because it's Rocky and you got to wrap it all up. And it's there's a certain the idea of them going up the steps to the statue. I get it. It works out very. I I do find it effective. But I find myself frankly in a similar way to Star Wars. To be entirely honest, I like both of those movies a lot. But I find myself impatient with the nods to the past. And wanting to get on with the new story, I feel the same way about Star Wars, and uh, so I, I, I'm as much as I enjoyed both Creed and Force Awakens, I'm actually looking forward to their sequels, maybe a little bit more. So I uh, maybe this is the last question, but I did see you and Grusin at Deadspin posted your ranking of all the Rocky movies, including Creed. But you then admitted you hadn't seen Creed yet when you made the rankings, and also yes. that you're doing that with somebody else. Yes. So you know, I I hate to use the word blame, but when I see Rocky Four listed sixth on the whole list, uh, you know, <laughs> maybe I, the question is who to blame. But I guess I'm curious. What I'll would take your... the blame on that one. <laughs> so what what would be your ranking? Uh, yours okay. solo now I'm having so... seen Creed. How would you rank the seven? Okay, I'm, I'm bringing it up right now. Let's go through this. Okay, so one is Rocky. Uh, two is I have to say I'm a Rocky three guy. I agree with that one. I think Rocky three is pure, just pure entertainment. And to me, the key to the Rocky movies too, and it's one thing that doesn't work quite as well in Creed. I love it's like Rocky three has the best villain. Like Clubber Lang is the best impenetrable, cannot be defeated villain of like he's terrific. And like you need, you need Clubber Lang to be, to 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 care about Rocky. You need. I mean, we're in Rocky three, like Rocky has won the championship, <laughs> like he's won, like you need him to go against someone unbeatable in a way that that's another reason I don't like Rocky four as much because Rocky, Rocky three, you believe Clever Lang. Rocky four is like, there's a robot. We've made a Russian robot that can't be defeated. And as much as I liked off, well, the, there's a Russian robot. There's also literally a robot or a happy yeah, birthday. Right, Polly. Yeah, yes. yeah, that, well, it's a ridiculous movie, but yeah, technology has not quite expanded <laughs> that way to where that's happening. I would probably put Creed. I'm actually comfortable with these rankings. I uh, with 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 the top four because uh, the rankings were Rocky one, uh, Rocky first, Rocky three second, Rocky two third, Creed fourth. I would maybe switch two and four, but maybe with Creed and Rocky two, but maybe not. I think they're actually pretty close. And then I actually do like. Do you like Rocky Balboa, the 2006 one? I did. Yeah. yeah I mean, it was so much better than five. Is the big yeah. issue. Yeah. Five is terrible. Yeah. Like five is like no like I don't, nobody likes five, right? Right. Yeah, nobody likes five, and so so I think that's fair. So basically, I think we can all agree I don't like Rocky Four as much as you do, but there are. Would you, so you think Rocky Four is better than Rocky Three or Rocky Two? It's so hard. It's kind of like you know people ask you what's your favorite movie, and it's hard to. I always think like comedies are a separate category than like actually good movies that are like well, and you know comedies could be good movies, but it's sort of like. Rocky Four is almost in a different category than the others because, like, you have to go in knowing that it's ridiculous. 
and you say, okay, this is a ridiculous movie, but I, I think I love it for different reasons than I love like the first two. Yeah, it's I very, mean, it's, it's very it's, hard. I think I have you. When's the last time you saw Rocky Four? Um, pretty recently. Oh, okay, good. That's impressive. I've, I found because we went back and watched them all for that one, and we were surprised how little we thought that one held up. <laughs> I'll confess that was the one where, like, okay, this movie is pretty silly, but uh, but 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 there's no question. Rocky Five is terrible. We can yeah. all agree that Rocky Five is terrible. Okay, so we've got so your so your final list then. My final, list, my personal it's... final list is seven. Yeah, you know what? I'm in agreement with this. Uh, honestly, I'm in agreement with this with, with with the list we had. Seven is Rocky Five, and frankly, it's seven, and then a large stretch of time, yeah. <laughs> a large stretch. Uh, uh, Rocky Five is the worst. Uh, I would probably put Rocky Four to be honest. I actually like Rocky Balboa more than Rocky Four. I will confess that. Uh, so Rocky Four is six. Rocky Balboa is five. Creed. Uh, I'll put I'm gonna, I'll put Rocky three excuse me Rocky two at third at the third spot Creed as the second excuse me at the fourth spot Creed as the third spot Rocky three as the second spot and the original Rocky as the, as the best one but I am excited to see what the next Creed is the problem is is the way I really want the Creed sequel to go is actually not to have a lot of boxing <laughs> and to not have a lot of training and I'm gonna guess just an early wager that's not the direction they're gonna go with it. yeah. Okay. Well, on that, I will let you go. This was a lot of fun. Thank you very much, Will, for uh, making the time and coming on here. That was great. Um, for everyone else out there listening, you can follow Will on Twitter. It's at William F. Leach, which is L-E-I-T-C-H. Uh, check out. He posts links to all of his writing and definitely want to keep an eye out for that New York Mag piece on the Rams. Uh, everyone else, you can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Mitch Goldich, G-O-L-D-I-C-H. If you've made it this far, hopefully it means you enjoyed the podcast and you'd be willing to subscribe. You can search for the Mitch Goldich podcast on iTunes. If you really liked it, feel free to leave a rating and a review, which I don't know if that helps people find it or not, but that would certainly be nice and appreciated. Uh, I also have a Facebook page. You can search Mitch Goldich on Facebook for just links to my writing and podcasts and no other clutter, I promise. And everything's also up at MitchGoldich.com. So once again, uh, thanks a lot to Will, and I'll talk to all of you again later.